Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeff. I've never met you before. I'd love to meet you and uh, connect with you a little bit and say hi. I hope you guys had a great uh, holiday season and you're having a happy new year and excited to dive into kind of that idea uh, here at Grace this, this uh, weekend. We're kicking off a series called Good Goals, Bad Gods. I'm excited to have this conversation and think it through. Of course, we picked this topic. You can guess why, because we've all set new goals, right, for the new year. And we kind of have that mindset that this is the year I mean it. I mean, this year, uh, I've had trouble getting to the gym five years in a row. And this year is the one that I'm going to do it kind of a thing. And we, we actually think that's a very positive thing, uh, sitting down and talking about recalibrating and kind of pointing our life in a certain direction on purpose. And we are, uh, through this conversation, just talking about that and saying that is a great idea. It's a fantastic thing, as long as it's all brought under the leadership and the direction of Christ. What we can do on accident, and I've done it, you've done it, we all do it sometimes, is we can say this goal, this outcome, this life uh, goal of mine is so important to me that that's going to be the driving factor of my life. When, when somebody stands up and eulogizes me one day, I want them to say these things about me. And it's not that those goals are all bad. It's not that they're improper all the time. It's that when you look at what Jesus says and what Jesus would want and what Jesus teaches, he would say, man, if there's something else in your life that is a higher priority than knowing and following me, if there's something else in your life that is driving your life and defining your life to a greater degree than, than me, knowing and following me, if, there, if there's even another person in your life that you would look and say, that person is who I live for, what I long for, what I want to give myself to, and it's a higher priority than even Christ, the Bible would say anything in my life that is a higher priority, a greater investment then Christ and his calling and what he would have for us to do, when something else takes that level of precedence in our life, that goal becomes a God. And I start spending my life and giving my life and living my life for that goal instead of for the one true God, Jesus Christ. So good goals can become really bad gods. Because no matter how good that goal or how much you want that thing or how much it's supposed to fulfill you, it can't do that. The Bible teaches us very clearly that it's only Christ that can satisfy the soul. And if I go in a direction that not only do I ultimately not want it to be in, but God ultimately would not want it to be in. If we, if we don't allow ourselves to be guided by Jesus, our earthly goals become what we live for. Instead of the things that simply steer us and direct us, they become the outcomes of life that we hope for and that we give ourselves to. Uh, I wrote in my notes this. I said, to set a goal is to point or steer one's life in a desired direction, right? That's pretty much what it means to set a goal. I'm going to set goals so that I don't just drift through life. I don't just wander through life. If I aim at nothing, I'll arrive there every time. You know, there's all a bunch of different ways to say it. So I'm going to set goals because I want to steer my life or move my life in a certain direction. 
and those goals can become good. I won't ra- make you raise your hand, but I bet there's a bunch of goals. We, we might say, this is the year I want to get out of debt, right? So, or at least not go deeper into it. That's my financial goal. You might have a health goal. I need to lose 10 pounds or 20, or we'll just stop there, right? So I want to I do that or get the cholesterol down. I might have a relationship goal. I want to meet somebody this year. I, I, I have signed up for every dating app possible. This is the year, right, that I'm going to meet somebody. Or I want to be the parent that I mean to be. I want to be the spouse that I mean to be. I want to be the sibling or the child that I mean to be. I have a relational goal. And those are the kind of things that I would look and say, you know what, that's actually healthy. To to look and say, I want to move my career or my finances or my education. Those things are not bad things as long as they are steering us and not defining us. If I look at that same goal and say, man, if I don't make six figures this year, I'm going to be a failure. If I don't make the varsity team, then I'm going to be a nobody. If I don't, if I don't meet somebody this year, like I've been wanting to meet somebody for the past three years, then, then I'm going to be that rejected individual that nobody wants. A good goal can become a bad God when the hope of that goal is to meet the places in our hearts that only God can meet. And when those two things switch places, we get in a lot of trouble in our life. It's one thing to set a goal in our life. Good, good, bad, indifference, one thing. It's a very different thing to enthrone a God in our life. A God is very different than a goal. A, a God is the thing that has authority over my life. This is what is driving me. This is the reason I get up in the morning what I want. A God has governance over my life. Suddenly, when, when I'm looking and I'm saying, what is it in my life that's telling me how to live, what to do, what to spend my money on, what my goals should be? I'm talking about a God now. I'm not talking about just a goal. A God identifies my identity when I look and say, if that group doesn't accept me or that person doesn't accept me or if I don't hit that, and that's how I'm going to define myself, a God is the one who tells us how to see ourselves, tells us whether we're successful or not, tells us whether we're on the right track or not. So setting a goal is one thing, enthroning a God is very much a different thing because when I have a God, there is no room to bring anything else in my life. A God defines me, a God directs me, a God is what I live for, a God is what I define my wins by, a God is literally what I worship. And the Bible would be clear, Jesus would be clear that there is no other person, no other thing, no other life outcome that is worthy of that level of investment and that level of governance in our lives besides himself. That Jesus alone is God. Jesus alone is worthy of that level of investment and that level of governance in our life. And if anything else, if money or health or even relationships are things that start governing us and defining us, then we've moved good goals into bad gods because we're living for things that the Bible would say they're in the wrong place. You live for me. You steer with these things. If I flip all of that around, I'm going to start to take myself down a place that I don't want to be. All right? So that's the idea that we're going to dig out a little bit. And what I want to do is I want to, this weekend, we're just going to kind of lay this out in in a broad scope. 
I'm going to show you this passage that Jesus talked about, and he kind of uses one of the things that we care a lot about in life to define this for us a little bit. And so we'll draw the principles out of that, and then we'll talk about how, how do I switch this around so that my God is defining my goals instead of my goals defining my God? And how do I make sure that my life is lined up the way that Christ would want it to be lined up? And then how do I bring kind of my life goals and my, my desired outcomes under his leadership and direction so that God is always God and the goals are always goals? And the right thing is leading the other thing, okay? So let me show you this a little bit. We'll dig at it and keep unfolding it some. If you got your Bibles, grab them and open them up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 6 about some of these ideas. And and in Matthew chapter 6, uh, by the way, in, your, in the chairs there, there's Bibles. It's page 679 in those Bibles if you want to use them. If you want to use the app, go to, uh, you can go search Grace Church 30. All the app stuff is right there. But Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking, and he's talking specifically in Matthew chapter 6 about money. And I'm going to use this passage in his conversation about money to talk about how good goals become bad gods and how we can flip this around and kind of get our head around a little bit so we can have an understanding of what Jesus would want and how Jesus would think, okay? So this is what Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 19 through 21, says here. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Don't spend all of your money just getting stuff on the planet that you want. Make sure that you're using your money to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, okay? And for the sake of our conversation, a treasure is going to be defined this way. A treasure is going to be your greatest life investment, something that only God is worthy of. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't take that treasure. Don't take your greatest life investment. Don't take the thing that's closest to your heart and just use it on earthly things. It will not hold up on that level. If you make money your God, your money of being your greatest life investment. So don't, get, don't become Scrooge McDuck, right? So don't, don't just store up all that, worship money, give yourself to all that. Instead, have an eternal mindset, have a heavenly mindset, use your earthly opportunities, your earthly goals, and make your treasure, your greatest life investment, something that God is worthy of, something that would please him or motivate him or cause him to be pleased with you, okay? So this is what Jesus is saying, this idea. Don't, don't store it for yourselves these treasures, your greatest life investment. Don't just make that an earthly investment. That's not worthy of, of God. It's too shallow. It's not enough because it's going to be destroyed. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Have an eternal investment, a long-term investment, where it cannot be destroyed and where nobody can break in and steal it because where your greatest life investment is is where your heart's going to be, where your money is, where your goal is. Whatever you set that goal for is what you're going to love and what you're going to worship, what you're going to give yourself to, okay? Now, as you go through this passage, it's fascinating that as Jesus goes through this, he, he really quickly jumps out and he says, there's a couple of ways that we can spend our lives, right? 
a couple ways that we can spend our lives, a couple ways that we can make our greatest life investment. And he lays it out kind of clearly for us. He says there, one way that you spend your greatest life investment is on heavenly things. And you can take your opportunity in life, your goals for the sake of our conversation, your desired outcome, and you can point those eternally and say, my greatest goal, what I want the most is I want to please Christ. What I want the most is I want to be a part of building the kingdom of God. What I want the most in my life is I want to be used by God in one form or another. What, what I want the most in life is I want, to, I want to be the person that God has called me to be so I can make the impact that God has called me to make. And I want to have a heavenly investment. I want to give my treasure, the very best of myself, to things that are heavenly. Now, the Bible would say that's a great a goal. That's something you would want to do. Because if you do that, that heavenly treasure is eternal. It's going to last forever. It's going to echo through the generations on earth. That heavenly treasure is going to bring reward to you. God is going to look and say, I see what you're doing. I see how you invest your life. And I'm going to reward you. The Bible calls it crowns in heaven one day. I'm going to be rewarded for the good deeds that I've done on earth. That, that heavenly investment is going to impact those we love. So one day when we die, all the people that have been around our life or haven't been around our life are going to gather and we're, our lives are going to ripple through their lives. And so Jesus is saying, man, you make a heavenly investment and then when you die, your investment continues. Your kids grab your heart. The kingdom of God continues. All these kind of things if you put your treasure in heaven. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact others. And it will never be lost. Nobody can break in and steal it. It's not going to be corrupted. It's not going to be eaten by mice. It's not going to rust away. It is a great, great investment to make a heavenly investment. If you sit down and said, my goal in life is to know the heart of God and to express the heart of God to the people around me, Jesus will look at you and say, that is a, is a fantastic goal. That is a goal worthy of me. And I can tell by the fact that you would make that kind of goal that I am your God because you are allowing me to govern you. You're allowing me to define and direct you. You're, you're kind of cooperating with me, so to say, in setting your life goals. And you're looking at the scriptures and you're listening to, to uh, the teaching of God's word and you're saying, ah, those are the things that are worthy of my life. Those are the things I'm going to make my greatest investment in. Those are heavenly treasures, things that are worth giving my life to. Jesus says, great, that's what you want to do. Now he contrasts that against earthly goals, right? So he would say, well, there's earthly treasure too. And if you give yourself to earthly treasure, you can do it. But if you give yourself to earthly treasure, here's the thing that's going to happen. Earthly treasure is always going to be destroyed. Earthly treasure is always going to be temporary. Earthly treasure may or may not impact the people around you. There's no guarantee for it. And earthly treasure is not eternal. It has no long-term benefit to it. So you can, you, we could look and say, my goal... What I want to do with my life is I want to make the money. 
I got to make the money. Grew up poor, grew up disenfranchised. Everybody told me that if I wanted to be happy, I got to make the money. I'm going to make the money. I'm going to work five jobs and I'm going to whatever. And I'm going to make this money. Jesus would look and say, okay, you can acquire earthly treasure, but this is the thing. You're not taking it with you. You, you can acquire earthly treasure if you want, but you might sacrifice your family in the mix. You can have it, right? I'm not going to necessarily strike you with a bolt of lightning, but, but it, it may not ripple through the, the impact of other people. In fact, it may have a negative impact on the people around you. And it's going to run out. So sooner or later, no matter how much money you acquired, somebody's going to burn through it. And it's probably going to be that one kid you're thinking about right now, right? So somebody's going to burn through the money, right? And when you stand before me, you're not bringing me anything of value. I don't care about your money. Well, I thought the church... I- I thought the church was in the money. Church isn't in the money. That, that's not why God talks about money. God talks about money because it's connected to our heart and our temptation is to love our money more than Christ. That's why he cares about money. It's not deep, right? So God says, Jesus says, listen, you, you can do the earthly treasure thing. You, it's not like your life's going to be all miserable if you got money. But it's not going to give you a happy marriage. It's not going to give you healthy kids. It's not going to create deep friendships. I mean, you can have it if you want it. But it's not going to take you any place. Now, let's pull the financial illustration out. That's what Jesus is talking about here specifically. But let's take this principle and and apply it more broadly. Let's talk about relationships. Right? Relationships. I, what I want is to get, I got to meet somebody. I got to meet somebody. That's fine. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to meet somebody. I'm all for it. But if you think that meeting somebody is going to fulfill your soul, oh man, you need to talk to anybody who's been in a relationship for more than 12 minutes. Right? Heidi's wonderful. She's not God. I, I, want, I want to have a kid. That's great. I'm pro kids. I got a bunch of kids, right? I'm really, I'm really into kids. We, Heidi and I have six children, so I'm all for kids. If you think that kids are going to make all your dreams come true, you have lost your love and mind, <laughs> right? I want a friendship. I want, these are great. They're great goals. They're fine goals. But if they become a god... If I'll, if I'll do anything to hold on to this guy, including violate everything that God teaches me about relationships, if I'll do anything so that my teenager isn't mad at me, including everything that God teaches us about parenting, if I'll do anything to, I just don't want, I just want everybody to be at peace. I just, I'll enable you, I don't care. Just whatever it takes. If, if, if all of a sudden those relationships start defining us, they have become gods. 
And now, because that's the God instead of Christ being the God, I actually don't even have the wisdom from God to navigate the relationship correctly. See? Pull that out. Let's put our bodies in. What I want to do this year is I want to get healthy so I can be sexy like my pastor, right? I, I know, I'm used to it. It's okay. But, but it, right, so if you look and say that's your goal, that's great. It's, it's great to be healthy. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. That's terrific. If, if you think that losing 20 pounds is going to make your insecurity go away, if you, if you think losing 20 pounds is going to make a depression go away, that 20, you can lose it. We're all going to die. We're all going to lose all of our weight one day. Everybody winds up skinny. If, if you think that the new wardrobe, if you think the better sex life, see, you take that out of context and, and, and you pull God out of it and you make the goal the God instead of the God governing the goal, it will leave us empty. It'll actually most times leave us more miserable than before we started the goal because we had such high hopes in the goal. And Jesus kind of steps in here in a money conversation. I'm drawing a principle out of it. And he looks at us and he says, guys, there's two ways to go at this. One is to start with the heavenly. Another place in the Bible, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things are added unto you. You start with the heavenly. I want to be who Christ has called me to be. I want to know what Christ has called me to know. I want to live the way that Christ has called me to live. I'm going to start with God, and I'm going to make my goals subject to my God. And he says, if you flip it and you go to the earthly, then what's going to happen is this. If I make my God subject to my goals, it's not that you won't achieve some goals, it's not that those goals are even bad. There's probably nothing really bad about losing 20 pounds. It's just that they'll never fill your soul, and they will all go away, and they will not last. In one way or another, they will be destroyed because you're not taking it with you. And when you're with me, the life that you were created to live in my presence is what the Apostle Paul says. If all I have is earthly treasure, I have nothing to present to God. But if I take my life investment and invest it in heavenly things, that's a dividend that I'm going to reap for the rest of my eternity, right? Now, how do you know? How do you know if goals have become God's, okay? Well, the Bible, as you go through the Bible, the Bible gives us some kind of, win I call them windows into the soul, and they're real simple. And you can look and you can analyze this right, right now. And you just look through these windows into the soul. And, it, and when you look through these windows into the soul, you can real quickly add up if my goals have become God's, okay? So there's three windows into the soul that'll, that'll give away your God's instantly, right? So here's the first one. The first one is this, my time. Where do I spend my time? And whatever takes the largest amount of your time is the thing that drives your life. That's the way it works. 
Whatever takes the largest amount of my time is the thing that draw, drives my life. Now, I know what every high school student in here is thinking right now. I knew high school was a false god. I have to go there all the time. Nah, 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 good try. I, I've had it tried on me before, and it doesn't work in my house either. It's not always where my body is, okay? Because we go to work, we go to school, all those kind of things. It's not always where my body is. It's where I want my body to be. So think of your free time. If I have free time, what would I do with it? What would I give myself to? What do I think about? What do I pick up? Where do my thumbs start moving? I look at my time. The Bible says this also. We just read this. Jesus said it. The other thing I look at is my money. Here's the thing, because we always find a way to find money for what we love. Catch that? Whatever you spend your money on is what you love because we always find a way to find money to get what we, what we love, right? Somehow, it can be so difficult to tithe and give to the church, but somehow we make it on vacation. It's a miracle. Sometimes it's so difficult to put money aside for retirement, but somehow, I don't know, money just appears for us to go out to eat. We always find the money to do what we really want to do. So God would look and say, he just said it. Jesus said, it, where, where your heart is, your treasures. You're going to spend money on the things that you love. And you're going to pull back money on things that aren't that important to you. The things that aren't that important to us, we tip. The things that we love, we budget. Right? The things that aren't that important to us, we tip. If we have a little bit of extra, that thing gets it. If I love it and I can't live without it, that's usually one of the first checks that I write for the month. So the Bible would say, look at your time, look at your money, and then the third thing the Bible would say is, look at your cravings or your heart. What do I crave, okay? So I have to think of my free time. Where do I spend my free time on? How much do I pay to spend that free time there? And what am I thinking about all the time, which I could spend my free time doing? What do I long for? The longings of the heart is kind of the way the Bible would say it. And if I could sit down and start writing that out, if you could sit down and bring up your, uh, your budget screen and look and say, where's the bulk of my money going? Outside of food and housing, where's the bulk of that money going? Where's the bulk of my time going? And where do I wish it would go? Suddenly what happens is you'll start to reveal to yourself what you love, what you give yourself the most to. And Jesus would step in and say, that's all great. It's all good. It's not that those things are bad. It's not that it's bad to have a hobby. It's not that it's bad to be into a video game. It's not that it's bad to play a sport or whatever it is. It's not that all that's a big sin. It's only when that goal becomes a God. When that thing is what is defining me. When that thing is what is governing me. When that thing is what I care the most about. Years and years ago, I was a youth pastor, many years ago, back before the world was created. And, and when I was a youth pastor one time, we, were, uh, we had a ministry team, and we were getting ready to take a missions trip to Brazil. We were getting the kids ready to take this trip to Brazil, so Heidi and I had them like memorizing scripture and learning some Portuguese words and all this kind of stuff, and, and kind of intensively training them. We were going to be in Brazil for three weeks, so we kind of had to get ready to, to do all this. I had a dad call me up. And he was irate with me, and he said, he said, I don't know who you think you are. 
And I was like, well, my name's Jeff, if we've never met before. And, and he, said, he said, I don't know who you think you are. I said, what's, what's wrong? He goes, who are you to tell my kid what to do? I said, well, I'm not, I wasn't really trying to tell your kid. You're making him memorize scriptures. You're making him go to these meals to learn to eat weird things. You're making him learn this language. You're making him show up to practice these puppet shows. You, you're, you're absolutely defining his life. I said, who, who, he goes, who are you to tell my kid what to do? I said, you know, can I just say something? I said, I know your son. The football coach, the football coach tells him what to eat. The football coach tells him when to go to bed. The football coach tells him that he will come to this study table and he will sit for this many hours and he will study for this long. And then the football coach tells him that he is to tell his parents that you're to pick him up after this game, after he plays and then has to stay and watch the varsity. Have you ever complained to the football coach? It was about this silent on the phone. I said, I said, brother, I love you. And I'm, I'm really open to being flexible. I'm not trying to tr- control your kid's life. But you're mad at me for trying to get him prepared to do something for Christ. And you don't even flinch when the football coach takes control over your family for four months. And what was revealed? What was revealed was the position of dad's heart. Because what he wanted, more than anything, was a football star. And the idea that that kind of effort, money, time, cravings, energy, would be placed into something of godliness was ridiculous. We go to church once a week. And suddenly it pops out, right? So God would look at us and he would say, hey, if you kind of click through that idea, you, you will start to understand where you are, what you value, and what you actually give your life to. Not what you think you give your life to, what you actually give your life to. And Jesus says something very sobering in this passage. After he talks about these treasures, your greatest life investment, and there's earthly and heavenly He comes back at the end of the passage in verse 24, and he says something that that should really give us all pause. He says this. He says, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, because he's talking about money. Jesus would look at us, this principle, and he would look and say, listen, it's impossible to serve two masters. It's impossible to have two things running your life. It's impossible to have goals that are God's. Because if the goal becomes the God, the God becomes the goal. One thing will always displace the other thing. 
And if you're drawing your identity and you're drawing your governance and you're drawing your authority and you're drawing your worth and you're drawing truth from something that is other than Christ, Jesus says, that's who you serve. That's what you've given your life to. When truth, when the boyfriend has you in bed and you're trying to hang on to him, and you're compromising biblical morality and standards of sexual purity. When, when the money, when the investment account is driving the money instead of the tithing and the generosity driving the money the way that Christ says that it should. When this relationship, when, I, when just to have peace, I'll surrender what is right and good. When I start pulling away from God and His Word and His truth, in order to accomplish something else. Jesus says, there is no tightrope to walk. You hate, you are devoted, or you despise. There cannot be two things that sit on the throne of our hearts. Pretty sobering there. So what leads my life and drives my life is actually the critical element of my life. So what if we ask different questions? And this is kind of what we're going to dig at in this series. What if we approach this whole thing differently? Could it take us to a heavenly outcome instead of an earthly outcome? And could it help us be sure that the goals are subject to the God and not the God to the goals? right? So let me give you some for instance with this, okay? So I just wrote down some things I thought would be good goals for, for me, right? So here's some good goals. If I said, I need to spend more time with my kids, because everybody needs to spend more time with their kids, right? So if I said, my goal this, this year is to spend more time with my kids, what if we change the way that we approach that? Because me spending more, more time with my kids could be earthly or it could be heavenly. just depends on what we're doing. If we're just playing air hockey and we're just playing pool and I'm just sitting watching a basketball game, eh. So how can I arrange that good goal to make it subject to God? So what if I changed it a little bit? What if I made it a heavenly goal? What if that goal sounded like this? My goal this year is to understand and implement God's heart and mind on parenting. I've never actually dug into God's Word to understand how He wants me to be a parent. And I love my kids, and I love my God. And if I parent my God the way that, parent my kids the way that my God teaches me, then all of these good things will be added unto me as well. So what if I set a heavenly goal that had an earthly impact? See how that works? Here's another example of it. If I, instead of saying, I want to I live within my budget. That's a big one. I want to live within my budget. We all want to live within our budgets. Some of us do. But I want to live within my budget, all right? What if we said this? I want to learn and practice what it means for God to be the owner of all things in my life. God has a lot to say about money. God talks more about money in the New Testament than he does heaven and hell combined. Isn't that fascinating? Because he knows our hearts talk, tied to it. So what if we said, I want to find out what God says about money. When, when, when Jeff talks about tithing 
Or is he, is he just trying to raise money for the church? The answer is no. So why does he talk about that all the time? Right? But when, when God, when God t- when the Bible talks about generosity, that God owns all things and I'm just the steward of it or the manager of it, what does that even mean? So instead of saying I'm going to live within my budget, what if I learn these biblical things and I set a heavenly goal and that heavenly goal would actually define and correct my budget? See? Because I can, I can live within my budget and it can be earthly and it can help or not help. I don't know. But if I find out God's heart and mind and start implementing it, there's no real big downside to that and it will please God and help me with it. And we could do this. I want to lose 20 pounds. Who wants to lose 20 pounds? Don't point at your husband. That's me. Right? So, right? I want to lose 20 pounds. What if we said instead of losing 20 pounds, we said this. I want to learn to live as if my body is actually a temple meant to bring glory to Christ and I am not the owner of it. Ooh. All of a sudden, my body and my health are affecting a lot of things in my life, not just the 20 pounds. My view of sexuality, my view of morality, uh, how I exercise my body, how I don't exercise my body. All of a sudden, if I learn from Scripture that this thing is actually not mine, it's gifted to me from God, it belongs to God. That's what the Bible says. So what if I dug in, what if I spent the year saying, you know what, that's my goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into all of that, and suddenly, if that heavenly goal is in place, then, then suddenly all of the physical goals that I need to have or should have will have, a, will have a spiritual emphasis on them because I'm taking care of something that's loaned to me, right? Uh, if you thought about, um, I'm going to have more fun, what if we said this? I'm going to learn to rest in the Lord and live in gratitude for all that He gives me. That'd be fun. If, if I just want to have more fun, I'd become an adrenaline junkie. But what's it mean to rest in the Lord? What's it mean to have joy in my heart that's not an adrenaline rush? What's it mean to have a, a heart of gratitude so that I'm not always looking for the next kind of adrenaline high? I'm actually living in peace and having maybe even solitude from time to time, and it makes me happier. That's in the Bible. That could be the goal. What if instead of having a date or sex night, it just depends on how you call that when you're married. Some married couples call them date nights. Some married couples call them sex nights. Wives tend to think of them as date nights. Husbands tend to think of them as sex nights. So I'm just being honest about it. So we're going to have more of that, right? We need to have some more sex, some more dates, whatever you want to call it, right? What if instead of that, what if I said, here is my goal. My goal instead is to be used by Jesus to express his love to my spouse, I want to have a higher goal, a more important goal. I want to know and understand my spouse, right? This one, I want to read my Bible and go to church more consistently. That seems like a good goal, right? Right? Hello? Right? Anybody? Am I all alone? Right? Everyone on the internet, come to church. I'm just saying it's an option, right? So I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to go to church more consistently. What if I said this instead? I want to deepen my understanding of God's love for me as I deepen my desire to love Him with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. See how this works? Good goals make terrible gods. They will always leave us empty. They will always leave us wanting. 
when the goals are submitted to the God and my goals become godly. If you want to change your life, if you want to alter a relationship, if you want to make a new start, if you want to become a different person, setting a new goal will not do that for you. You can drop 50 pounds and the same soul is inside the container. You can have $100,000 in the bank and the same soul is inside the container. If the goal is not subject to the God, then the, the goal, it's not enough. If the goal becomes the God, it, it'll leave us short every single time. But if we allow God to create the goal and we grow and we move ourselves, it's a positive thing. I'm all for it. It's a positive thing. That becomes life-changing. That is something that God empowers. That is something that pleases Him. That is something that is eternal in nature. That is something that impacts everyone around us that we love in a positive way, from family through friends. It, it's, it's a no-lose situation when the God defines the goal. See, suddenly, powerful things start to happen in our lives. Goals improve our lives. God wants to define our life. And when I yield to him, he is absolutely excited to draw near to me or to partner with me and to allow that work to happen. Okay. I think there's a couple of ways to receive this conversation. So I would think of it this way. If, if you're listening here and you're engaged in this and you're not yet a follower of Christ, then following Christ should be the goal. So that would be like goal number one. So whether, wherever you're at in your exploration of, of Jesus and Christianity and being a Christ follower, if you looked and said, my goal this year is to settle this question. Is there a book I can read? Is there a, a, an old teaching series I can listen to? Can I sit down with someone and be discipled, we call it, or be taught about what the Bible means? I, I, I want to move myself spiritually this year. Maybe I haven't even bought this Jesus thing, hook, line, and sinker. That's fine. But instead of like a year from now sitting and saying, I still don't know where I'm at, what if we made God your goal? And, and we helped you with that in some way. So I would say to you, if you can do it on your own, fine. Seriously, great. Just make it a goal. If we can help you with it, we would love to help you with it. If we can have kind of the private conversations and we can dig into the, the parts where you have questions and you have hang-ups, those are phenomenal conversations to have. I did that when I first became a follower of Christ. People do that all the time. I, I spent a chunk of my day doing that with people today. But if you said, my goal for this year is God, God is my goal, then if, like I said, if you can manage it, of course, manage it on your own, but if we can help you, let us know on the connection card that's on the app, 
connect with somebody. Maybe a, you have your own personal connection with a spiritual friend or something like that and begin to pursue that. But make that your goal this year, okay? Another chair would be those of us who are Christ followers. And I would say this to you. If you're a Christ follower, this is the, the way that I would encourage you to, uh, to discover a godly goal, okay? First of all, I would ask the Holy Spirit to help you. So I would pray. And I would ask the Holy Spirit to bring either a, a, a goal or maybe better, a scripture to your mind, a Bible passage that might define that goal. As you're praying, if suddenly God brings to your mind forgiveness or God brings to your mind passages about money or God brings to your mind passages about uh, yielding your will, whatever it is, I would pray and I'd ask the Holy Spirit to help you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus said that. Help me. The Holy Spirit usually sounds like the Bible. So a, a Bible passage or a verse that comes to mind and you look and say, okay, I, I see what God would want me to do. I'm going to set some goals off of this. This is the year that I'm going to work on compassion. I'm going to work on truth. I'm going to work on purity, wh whatever it is, okay? So ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Then I would write that down. I don't know where you put things that you want to remember. For me, it's always on my speedometer, like I, because I figure if I don't know how fast I'm going, I have to slow down, read the card, move it, and then find out. Oh, that's why you pulled me over, right? So whether you put on your speedometer, your bathroom mirror, get a tattoo, I don't care what you do. But when you get that boiled down into a word or two, say, this is my focus. This is what I'm going to give myself to in this year, okay? And it's a Holy Spirit-inspired goal. Now, here's the other thing I would do as I'm praying. If I am a Christ follower, I would do this. Ready? This, one, this one's a little harder. I would ask God if there is a personal goal that I need to set aside. I would ask God if there's a personal goal that I need to set aside. Did, did I just come up with my to-do list? And God, is there anything that you would like to pull off of that? And if you would convict me or show me or give me a Bible passage or maybe I'm talking with a, a life group leader or a, a friend who's mature spiritually and it kind of comes up and, and I realize, but show me if there's something you'd like me to pull off of my personal list. Maybe it's not the, the year to double down on my retirement because the stock market's hot. Maybe it's the year to double down on my tithing because I've been disobedient to God. Maybe it's not the year to go to the gym more. Maybe it's the year to go to the family room more. And maybe it's not the year to get some more me time. Maybe it's the year to get to know whether my neighbors, what their spiritual eternity is. Maybe it's not the year to take the big vacation. Maybe it's the year to take the big missions trip. I don't know. But as you ask God to put goals on your heart, ask him too, is there any goals that you would take off of my heart that I need to surrender to you and give to you in that way as well, okay? God, and clarifying, and I think uh, as we dial in on it, we'll, we'll sync up with the heart and mind of God, and he'll take us where he wants us to go, okay? All right. Jesus, help us with this big conversation, hard conversation, and, but so important. Lord, I don't, 
I don't want to get to the end of life and be known for what I accomplished. I want to get to the end of life and be known for loving you. And God, in the, in the deepest recesses of our heart, if you could help us with that, if you could show us that, help us to understand it, we'd be grateful. God, we want to move our lives forward and we want to be responsible and proactive and all those positive things. But we don't want to be independent. We want to do those as you would have us do that and yield our life to you in every way. So help us with that, God. God, for those of us who may not know you yet, draw us close with your kindness. Open our minds up in new ways. And for those of us who know and follow you, speak to us. Press deeply into our hearts and clarify. Make our path straight as we seek you. Thank you for your help in all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.